Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Dwayne Adams, and Dwayne has nearly 40 years of experience of guiding deer hunters in Arizona, both on the Kaibab Plateau and in southern Arizona for coos deer. And so we've got a two-part series. The first part is we're going to be talking about Dwayne's season last year on uh, the Kaibab Plateau in 12A West, 12A East. And then the second part, uh, the next episode we're going to be talking about, we're going to go through all of the coos deer units uh, in southern Arizona. And Dwayne's going to shed a little bit of light on each of the units, uh, bucks that he's taken out of the units, and just stories and uh, background on each of the units that will help you uh, for this upcoming draw here in Arizona. I want to remind everyone uh, the draw deadline is June 13th, uh, uh Tuesday, June 13th, I believe, 7 p.m., you can apply online and uh, you have to have it done. So I want to make sure you get good value out of this podcast. In this first part, we're going to be talking about uh, the Kaibab Plateau and specifically units 12A uh, East and 12A West. Uh, And I wanted to go over a few numbers looking at the Arizona Game and Fish regulations There's 95 tags on 12A East early hunt. There's 30 tags on 12A East late hunt. There's 500 tags on 12A West early hunt. And there are 100 tags on the 12A West late hunt. The dates for both of those hunts are October 27th through November 5th and November 24th through January 3rd excuse me, November 24th through December 3rd. So that that's uh, more of a rut hunt, uh, those December dates. Uh, I also wanted to show you how Go Hunt Insider uh, breaks down the draw odds for you and tell you about it. Okay, if I go to the Go Hunt Insider, I log in here to my Insider. Uh, I go to Arizona, I go to non-resident, and I scroll down to uh, 12A East. Uh, 12A East, October 27th through November 5th. And according to the Go Hunt Insider, nine points would give you a guaranteed draw as a non-resident to get 12A East early hunt. Um, if you had eight points, excuse me, seven points, uh, that would give you a 24% chance to draw. And ironically, uh, going all the way to zero points uh, gives you a 1.3% uh, chance to draw. If we uh, scroll down here to the uh, 12A West early hunt, so October 27th to to November 5th uh, with seven points as a non-resident last year it was a hundred percent draw with six points it was a 19 percent draw with five points it was a 16 percent draw with four points it was 14 three points it was 11 two points it was 8.5 one point it was 5.7 and with zero points it was still a 2.9 percent draw Guys, one of the things I really like about the Gohan Insider is you can pick any state across the western U.S. and you can go in and you can look at specific units and it will give you, uh, with the amount of points that you have, it will give you the draw odds 
and uh, that is an unbelievable resource and tool to be able to kind of predict and try and calculate uh, what you know what you can draw what tags you can get and what have you I want to remind you guys if you use the J Scott promo code when signing up for the go hunt insider you're gonna get a $50 store credit to the go hunt gear shop and like in a prior episode where I talked with the go hunt guys uh, this gear is hand-picked field tested gear and with that you're gonna get free shipping you also have the ability to call in and get good technical support uh, from the Trail Kreitzer and the guys there at Go Hunt that use the gear. And you can use those insider points uh, to, uh, you know, a- as, you, as you accumulate or as you buy stuff, you're going to get, they're going to give you uh, credit back. And so in essence, um, you can you can work your way to getting all kinds of free gear just by buying and you get free shipping uh, So make sure to check them out at gohunt.com use the J Scott promo code Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast Obviously go hunt insider is the title sponsor of the podcast Kuyu ultralight hunting and I want to make you guys aware of where the Kuyu mobile showroom is uh, uh, Seattle, Washington, January, or excuse me, June 8th, 9th, and 10th, Spokane, Washington, June 15th, 16th, and 17th, Missoula, Montana, Boise, Idaho, Idaho Falls, Idaho, Bozeman, Denver, Colorado Springs, Omaha, Nebraska, August 3rd, 4th, and 5th, Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Houston, Lubbock, and more. You can check Kuyu.com for the Kuyu uh, mobile showroom, the Kuyu World Tour uh, schedule. I uh, also want to thank Cheston Davis over at Phonescope.com. Uh, Ch- uh, Cheston and the crew make uh, digiscoping uh, devices where you can uh, basically adapt any uh, optic to any phone and be taking photos and uh, videos immediately. Uh, you can use the J. Scott 16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Also, the guys at the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his crew there in, in Arizona. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code, and you're going to get a 10% discount at uh, the Outdoorsman's. And I want to thank them for their support. I want to thank you guys for your loyal support of this podcast. If you guys want to send me any questions, any comments, you want to hear somebody on the podcast, uh, or you, you just want to send me a photo uh, of your hunt or your success, you can do so at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Also remind you guys, if you're regular listeners of this podcast, I encourage you to make sure you subscribe to the podcast so as soon as I download a new episode, it automatically shows up on your device. And uh, guys, let's get right to this episode with Dwayne Adams. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Dwayne Adams on the line and we had a great podcast oh, six months or so ago and got a lot of great feedback uh, from Dwayne, uh, from people listening to Dwayne and um, Dwayne, it's great to have you on again. You bet, Jay. It's good to be here. I want to talk today about, I want to pick your brain about the Kayabab and we had a great podcast before and I encourage uh, the listeners out there to check back on, on that prior podcast that I did with Dwayne. Uh, but first and foremost, Dwayne, I kind of want to uh, have you tell the listeners that maybe didn't hear that first episode, 
how long have you been guiding on the Kayabab Plateau? And uh, give me a little bit of background on your experience level up there. I've been guiding the Kayabab for 38 years this year. And I've been hunting there almost every season it's been open. So I've been there on the early seasons and the late seasons for just about 38 years. So every experience that's happened up there, good, bad, or indifferent, I've been involved in. And, Dwayne, um, last time we talked, I think you were just headed up to the Kayabab. I believe you had some hunters on the early hunt and on the late hunts. Um, how was your experience this year? What was the season like? Give me kind of a breakdown of how everything went, both for you and for you know other hunters, and just in general how, how the season was. Tell you, it was as good as it always is. Uh, I like to book the hunters for the full 10 days just in case we get weather or somebody gets sick or whatever happened. But we had 17 hunters on the early season, and we killed 17 bucks. Wow. Uh, four of those bucks were over 180. One scored 193. And the other bucks were in the 150s to the 170s. And you know, guiding yourself, uh, a lot of people can't get around. We had some elderly people in their 80s that, that have difficult getting around. But that's part of guiding. But one of the guys that, that killed the buck with me was, was a gentleman uh, out of California and we let a hundred mule deer bucks go in six days for him to kill a 183. Really? And he talks about that in, de- in great, just crazily talks about all the deer he had seen. And I kept explaining to him, you know, you're looking the wrong place. This is why we're looking there. And after about two days, he got it. And I mean, he's sent more people my way just because of uh, his experience with me hunting with me then. That's awesome. So on that early hunt, um, 17 for 17, that's some phenomenal success. Uh, Now, those bigger bucks are obviously there, um, you know, even more than the 190s, some of the, you know, even bigger bucks over 200. They're there. Why are they so hard for people to dig out uh, routinely on that early hunt? Well, I I have a, a tremendous theory and the theory is most people have an uncle or a friend or a buddy that hunted there 25 years ago or 10 years ago, and they tell them to go hunt so watts, or they tell them to go hunt some jump-up place, and the deer aren't even there. And they don't know where these holes are. And Ryan, Ryan Hatch's magazine, this last issue, there's a gentleman out of page that found a great big buck, and he killed it, and if I'm correct, it's 236, and he has pictures of that buck in Ryan's magazine of the horn growth of this deer that he kept seeing, and, Jay, he's seen it out of the truck. He took the pictures out of the truck. Wow. But it was down a dirt road, and he got it in a water tank, and then he's got the deer, you know, in different sequences, and Ryan and I are great friends, and he told me about the deer. He said, Dwayne, it's such and such place, and we tried to hunt it. I mean, if he tells me that deer's there, I go look for it. But I found out the guy killed it the day before. He killed it on opening day. Wow. Wow. That's that's an incredible buck. Um, Dwayne, uh, the difference, well, let, let's, let's, let me ask you about the late hunt first. How was the late season this year 
uh, weather-wise, uh, how was the hunting? How was, um, you know, did the, did the big bucks show up? Uh, what was the quality like? It was, it is, it is most is ex- exceptional as it could have been. I had a gentleman named Chaz Eckerson, uh, an elderly man that out of Globe. And you might remember this guy. He yeah, killed the new giant. world record. Yeah. He scored Who's... 155 inches. Well, I guided him. Oh, and, okay. and, 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 and the article's in Ryan's magazine again. He shot at two bucks that were over 220. But what I found out, that Chaz had an eye problem and he couldn't focus the scope. And it took us about three bucks for him to, we figured out that he was having a real problem. Well, we finally corrected that on about day four. And we were down off this point looking, and, and Rick and John, the two guys that guide with me, uh, we found this buck the evening before, and I said, if we get over there, guys, we'll, we'll kill that buck in the morning. He'll come back out. Well, we sat there, and here come that deer. What's well, about eight or ten does, and, and we're getting ready to shoot this deer. And Johnny says, Dwayne, don't shoot that deer. He said, look behind me. And I told John, I said, John, what are you talking about? He said, look behind us. We turned, I turned I'm telling you, literally turned around and looked behind me, and there was about a 35-inch gigantic four-point. And I told, I said, don't shoot that deer, shoot this deer. <laughs> we, <laughs> we literally turned around and shot at that big buck and missed him. Oh, man. Again, we shot at him two times under 200 yards, and the deer went over the hill. We turned, uh, Scott J., we turned right back around and shot the other deer, and it's in Ryan's magazine. It scores 202. There was, it's the first time in my career in the Kaibab, standing from the same place, we've seen two bucks that were over 200 inches. <laughs> That's and incredible. we killed that one, and, and Chase was tickled to death. I mean, praise God. Had his boy Spider with him there. So, I mean, it couldn't have happened any better. Once we walked up to it, he literally started crying because he said, I've hunted all my life for a 200-inch deer. That's incredible. Uh, how was the rut? Was it um, really good from start to finish, or is it one of those things that just kept getting better and better? Well, I don't know. We were done on, on day four. Okay. So, and they were rutting hard. But there was a, a young man there that, that's uh, named Shane Yout, and his dad used to guide for me years ago. And he's, his, name's, his name was Dana Yout. And, and Dana died a few years ago, but Dana was a one, of, one of the most wonderful men in the world. Well, his brother had a tag, and he stopped by camp, and I said, Shane, I said, we've seen a gigantic buck. And I told him where the buck was. I said, it's down off that point. I said, there's nobody there. I said, but you've got to walk way down there. I said, walk down there before the sun comes up. Get way down to the end. And I said, it has a split fork on the right side, and it has two kickers on the left. He killed that deer, and it scored 221. Wow. He killed it, and we were on our way home. He texted us a picture, and I said, that's it. And he thanked me and thanked me and thanked me. He said, Dwayne, it was right where you told us. Well, we had, we had uh, our gentleman down there. We missed. That's the deer we missed. That's the deer I'm talking about that we shot at and missed. Wow, wow. So um, had that buck moved very far from where you saw him, or was he just right there in that same country? He's right in the same country that, that, that where he was. And what I have found, his dad killed, a, uh, his dad killed a, the number three typical deer in the world. It netted 221. And, and Dana, when I told Dana, I said, Dana, this little pocket, I said, it's terrible to hunt, but there could be a gigantic buck. I said, I told him I've killed three Boone and Crockett bucks in there, but you've got to walk a long ways. And I said, they're either there or they're not. 
But if they're there, there could be a big deer. And he walked out there, and and this is, I mean, it was like clockwork. He set up the glass, and two does were there, and this gigantic buck, and it scored, it netted 221, uh, typical. And this, it's kind of interesting. You see, this, his boy's grandfather, the dad, and now the boy have all killed 300 inch, a uh, 200 inch deer up there. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Um, what what's your prognosis um, for this coming season for um, the early hunt and the late hunt? Are there any changes on the regulation? Um, in, any thoughts on on the, on this coming year? Well, you know, I I mentioned Ryan Hatch, uh, and I stay in touch with him a lot, and he told me that the green was off the chart up there, that they had got so much moisture and snow that he said it looks as good as it's ever been, and so I'm going by him because I have not been there, so if he tells me that, it's it's going to be great. That's fantastic. So uh, guys looking, you know, looking at, you know, they're either going to, well, let me back up. There's a lot of people that are chasing the strip and, you know, they're one or two points shy and, that you know, they, they don't have max points. And, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, should I wait it out? Um, and your advice to them would be what? Well, that I talk to clients every day and it depends on their points and it depends on their age. That, that's, that's what happened to Chase. He was in his 70s. And I said, Chase, you're not going to draw the, the, the strip. So I, I, I said, I would try the Kaibab. Your points will put you in that game. And he got drawn, and, and so the rest is history. I think it depends on their people's age and the amount of points because if you have a lot of points and you're young, I'd hang with the strip. But if you don't, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the regulations right now, and it's October 27th through November 5th is – is the early season there's 500 tags on the west side and then november 24th through december 3rd there's a hundred tags on the west side and then you take the east side on the early hunt uh same dates october 27th through november 5th um and there's 95 permits on the early season and then 12a east there's 30 tags on the late hunt um from the last podcast, you you still think 12A West is is out of those four hunts? 12A West late is still the 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 uh, cream of the crop there, right? Yes, I do. I think that the West is better than, than the East side. I think the East side is, is the, the fire was so devastating there that the food structure didn't come back. Todd Bucks wanted told me that it hadn't come back like they thought. And that's why they've cut the tags back drastically. Well, there used to be 250 tags on the early hunt and 50 tags on the late hunt. And apparently it still hasn't come back to the structure they think. Now, do you feel like that 12A East late hunt um, with only 30 tags? And, you know, that's it's a big unit for, for only 30 tags. I mean, th- there's still a chance for a 200-inch buck, wouldn't you say? Yeah, there is. Uh, Ryan's nephew had a tag last year, and he killed a uh, like a two eleven uh, a couple days into the hunt. And but yes, I do think that that hunt there, you give a chance, some of those bucks that can come out of the park, and they can come out of that places on down there that they that, that they migrate into that you don't ever have a chance to kill. You bet. We killed some gigantic bucks on the. I, I killed a two forty, scored two forty one on the east side seven years ago. Gotcha. So 
Um, when you have hunters on, um, say, the west side and the east side, I mean, do you do you run them out of the same camp, or do you do split camps, or you know, do you just take hunters on the west, or wh- where are you at with guiding both the east and the west side? Well, we do both, Jay. If it's on the early season, we run out of the same camp because the deer are on top, and so, and we know that. But if it's the late season, we split camps and put camps down below. On, and then our camp on the other side down below because it's too far to travel otherwise. Okay, and then you talk about the deer being on top, and, um, you know, I've hunted up there a few times, and it, it's one of those things that the the migration that those, got, that those deer um, take part in, uh, how much of it do you think is just completely habitual or how much of it is weather-related and kind of talk about, you know, the timing of the deer moving, not moving. Some years they do, some years they don't. Um, maybe maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, I used to come up with all kinds of wild ideas, but I actually think what it is is I think when the food starts to freeze on top, that's when I think they start to move. And I really believe that's probably more important than all the other nonsense that I've ever figured out. Once those forbs start to freeze on top, because when, when those deer are on top, they're not feeding on, on any kind of great big brush and, and, and cliff rows and mountain mahogany and, you know, sage. They're just eating grasses. And when that freezes, I think that, that automatically they, they don't like to taste. It, change, it changes, and they start to migrate. That's what I really found. And they start to migrate. And there are some big bucks that migrate, too. A lot of people think that those great big bucks are not going to move. They're still going to move. They just don't move at the at the race that the other deer move. They move slower and they come down, but mid mid hunt, those big deer are killable. They're down in the zones and the oak zones where if you know where to look, you could find one of those deer. About 4 years ago, 5 years ago, a kid that guides for me named Brett Kelly had let buck after buck go in a little hole that we go look at and it was on a Thursday. And he killed this deer, and he come back to camp. He said, we killed a monster buck, Dwayne, and we got a, a name for this canyon. And I said, Big, he said, he said, I counted 27 points. I said, come on, Brett. I said, he said, it's 27 points, Mr. Adams. I said, well, heck, we about wrecked the truck, all of us going up there. And this buck ended up scoring 227, and it's, it's in this hole. It's the third Boone and Crockett buck we killed out of this hole on the early season. Wow. Wow. It, it, and it, it, what happens, Jay, is they, they migrate down, and then they rest. They rest, and then, then they migrate on down. That's, so that, there's, that's kind of a hold, there's kind of a transition holding area where they kind of hole up before they move on yes. down out into, the, out into the more out into the open? Any of that oaks, they hold up. They hold up in those oaks because that's the next stage of food. You got all those acorns. Last year, those acorns were as big as your thumb, and they, you could rake them up with a rake. You could just look down there and look at those deer. It's like they're vacuuming them up. They didn't raise their head up. You could just see them eating, gorging themselves on those acorns. And so that's the next level of food that God designed once they leave the top of that plateau to drop down to those oaks, and they feed on that until... The, the next food is, and they move on down to the sage and, and the cliff rows after that, and that's where they winter. So, heck, yeah, they come on down there. But once that food freezes on top of those grasses, those deer start to move. Interesting. And I'm looking right now at the um, moon phase for November 2017. 
coming up and uh, that early hunt is October 27th through November 5th and it looks like the moon it will be full on November 4th so how do you see uh, with that projection how is deer deer movement um, you know how does that moon how do you see it affecting deer movement and with knowing that you know that's going to happen will that affect how you hunt when you hunt or anything like that well i'll tell you what we have found generally those deer go to bed early and when i say early i mean way early in the morning is what we have found but on the reverse side they get up late, later and that's really what we have found that those big deer will go to bed a lot of times right right before the sun's up there are they fed all night and they're fine but about 2 30 we found that those big deer will stand up and start feeding in the oaks because they feel safe because all the oaks is over the canopy over them. They're not afraid of, you know, somebody scaring them and, and chasing them, so they just start feeding on those oaks at 2.30, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We're glassing. So the evenings have been way better on full moons than the mornings. Okay, that's that's good to know. And then, you know, taking that a step further, when I look at the dates for the li- the late season, it's November 24th through December 3rd, uh, and uh, obviously the first part of that hunt um, is going to be pretty dark uh, with the moon being full uh, there on uh, December 2nd. Uh, is, is it a deal, I found that kind of once deer start rutting and such, the moon I, I don't think plays a, as big a role. What's your thoughts on you know that, that late hunt with the moon, the last few days of the hunt being pretty full? I think that you hit it right on the head. I think that they're not worried about any of that. They're worried about does and 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 carrying on their legacy after that. So that's when they make mistakes. For sure. Uh, on, on those hunts, um, talking about the early season there on the west and east side, obviously there's quite a few tags, um, and you guys went 17 for 17. Um, as an outfitter, how do you juggle the the pressure? Uh, from other hunters and and you know how do you prepare not only your guides yourself and and your hunters for you know you're going to see people but you guys still went 17 for 17 how, how do you deal with that well i've learned a long time ago is you use people to your advantage and not your disadvantage and where people are those deer are going to be pushed into bush push zones that we call them and so those are the zones that we have figured out over the years that that's where those deer are going to be pushed into, and especially the big bucks are going to be there. And so we quit hunting all those little places that everybody's looking at, and we hunt those ridges that are away from a road or what we call a push zone that's just out of the way of most people. we got hundreds of those places that we figured out over the years. The big fire swept through there and burned up a lot of that country. Um, how do you see the actual areas that are you know, really burned hard as far as capacity for deer. Um, you know, are you seeing them there, uh, you know, on the early hunts or the late hunts? Or, um, you know, as soon as the shooting starts, do they typically get out of those opens? I'm curious how that burn, you know, affects hunting pressure and, and how those deer move around. I tell most people, and they, they, they said we've seen 25 bucks in the burn, scouting or 30 bucks in the burn. 
and and I try to make it as clear as I can make it to them when they tell me that. I said, you better shoot the deer the first morning because the first evening they're either dead or gone. Yeah. Because it's too open, Jay. It, you can see forever. I mean, you can you can glass. You can't glass it all. There's so much country with the weapons these guys have today, and the amount of people that's up there in those burns. They, that's why the east side took a, a real beating. Is because the east side, three quarters of the fire was on the east side, and those guys could kill those deer, and they did. They shot them, shot them down. Do you think with the um, the reduction in tags and you know having it at 95 and 30? Um, I mean, do you think that the east side will rise back to prominence like it, you know, it was? Because, I mean, I yes. remember a long time ago, the east side was every bit as good as the west side. And, and you know, you, it, it was like, which one do I do, 12A west or 12A east? And it was literally like a, a coin flip. I'm just curious if, do you think the tag allocations are low enough for it to really come back or or do you think it would require more or, or excuse me less tax no i think that todd buck and those guys up there have done a wonderful job of of uh, keeping the quality of the mule deer where it's at and i think it's coming back right now to be very honest with you so uh, i think that's they've done a great job jay realize they've cut it from 250 tags a few years ago to 95 yeah. that, that's a big reduction yeah for sure um question I forget if I asked you before on the condors. Um, are you still seeing a bunch of condors up there? And what what is the status of that California condor? And maybe talk a little bit about um, the you know the background of it. Well, we don't see them very much, to be very honest with you. We sometimes we'll see one or two in a tree, and sometimes we'll go a season and don't see any. So. Uh, they've they've never bothered me or anything that I'm doing. Uh, I still think that they probably eat the gut piles, and and the game and fish have a program up there. If you bring your gut pile in, they have a prize, and they're going to you know if you draw the tag, they 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 give you a couple boxes of ammunition that are copper. So they're trying to stay on the right side of the environmentalists, and they're trying to stay on the right side of what's going on. But I I don't see the condors hardly at all, to be honest with you. Okay. Okay. Um, Dwayne, I, I wanted to also talk to you about coos deer and want to go through a bunch of the units. Um, just wondering if you have any final um, concluding thoughts or anything that you think um, needs to be covered there talking about the Kaibab Plateau. No, but I hope that if you put in, good luck, and I hope you, you draw a tag and, and have a hunt of a lifetime. I tell people that all the time, Jay. I tell them it's the most beautiful country in the world, and everybody ought to hunt the Kaibab at least once in their life. Yeah, it's it's sure an incredible place. You know, one one other question I had for you is, um, uh, what are you seeing as far as the turkey population up there? Um, I, I I know it kind of um, was really high, and then it kind of dropped down. I'm just curious what you're seeing in the fall. Obviously, you're there in the fall, but... You know, are you are you seeing lots of turkeys like you used to, or you know, more or less, or where where's the turkey population? We're seeing a lot of turkeys, and they, they migrate like the deer do. If we see turkeys, there's generally deer there. They they're they're usually eating the same acorns when they come down, and and it's not uncommon to set up in glass, you know, 25 to 40 turkeys at any one time, uh, wherever we go. So, I, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of turkeys. Okay. 
And I just got a couple more questions that, that popped up. Um, uh, I got I got something for you that yeah. you might want to. There are a tremendous amount of of uh, chuckers up there now. Really? They're everywhere. They're all over those points. And ten years ago, uh, I seen a chucker. A, a flock. I walk it out of a point. A, a flock of a covey of chuckers exploded. I screamed like a woman. It scared me to death. I didn't know what they were. <laughs> and now it's it's common to me to see four or five cubbies of chuckers all the time. They they've exploded. They're they're all over up there now. Do you know? Do they have a a a, se- a chucker season? I don't. Oh, know. they I have. Don't even know. They have the, one of the longest chucker seasons I think in the United States. It starts in September and goes, I think January. Is that right? Yeah, that right? they. It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, for anybody who wants to hunt chuckers, last year we were up there on that late season. There was a guy in a white truck. I finally got to talk to the guy about day three, and uh, he had killed a limit. And I got wow. talking to him. I heard him shooting, boom, boom. And I told my buddies, I said, he's shooting chuckers. That's a shotgun. And then we finally talked to the guy, and he, I said, you, I heard you shooting, you know. And he said, I got a limit. I said, did you see? He said, yeah, we got into four or five big cubbies. Wow. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty neat. And uh, they're a really neat bird. Uh, I ran into some of them up there on the uh, Arizona Strip, and um, they're just a really neat bird. Love hearing them when they're kind of roosted and, and um, making that sound that they make. It's pretty neat. Yes, yes. Uh, have you seen any of the elk that were up there, and do you know what the status is of the, you know, there's a handful of elk up there. Have you ever seen them? Um, yeah, you know but what we're able to I've kill seen them, or? Jay. I've seen them, but I'll tell you, uh, they do a great job of killing them. A, yeah. a great job. There was a, a spike elk on the east side about five or six years ago, and I went and told the Game and Fish that there was a spike elk at such and such place that I'd seen, and it had a cow with it too. And uh, and they sent some guys over there, and I happened to be still hunting deer in there, and the guy said. We got an elk tag, and I said, that elk was right around that knob over there, and I'll be going to heck. Him and his buddy killed the spike in the cow. That's the only elk I've ever seen. But I see their sign, but they do, you know, that season, those guys can buy that tag, and they can hunt any time, you know, that depredation, whatever that season is. And the game and fish are really good about telling those guys where they've seen elk. So they work them over. Yeah, and I think it's important because, you know, that's, that's, you know, trophy mule deer area, and there's lots of places in Arizona where there's elk, and, you know, I think I think it's good that we're trying to keep that as, you know, managing it as a, you know, premier mule deer place for sure. Uh, well, Dwayne, it's been awesome talking to you about the Kaibab Plateau. I want to talk to you in the second part uh, about coos deer hunting uh, uh, in Arizona, and uh, I, I kind of want to go down through some of the units. I know you have a lot of experience uh, in, in a lot of these units in southern Arizona. And so I, I kind of want to just kind of shotgun uh, down through some of these units and, and have you uh, just basically maybe tell me a little bit about the unit, uh, maybe talk about some of the mountains. Obviously, there's a lot of units, so we got a lot of ground to cover, but...